You're listening to What the Business, the business podcast where I interview independent business owners about success, failure, and all the moments in between. My name is Josie Berg, and I'm your host. Hello, guys, and welcome to today's episode of What the Business. Today's episode is a special one for a couple reasons. First reason is this episode is freaking incredible and you're going to love it and I cannot wait for you to hear it. I'm so stoked. Anita and I dive deep into um, communication and how to communicate online um, and making sure that your communication online is both diverse and inclusive to all. Um, to all. Yeah, it's just an epic episode and it just so happens to be the season two finale. I'm so, so happy with the season. I think there's been so many incredible pieces of advice given and I just, I cannot wait to get started up again in the late fall with season three. But for now, you'll just have to go back and listen, re-listen to all your favorite episodes and um, be sure to share it online and tag me on Instagram at whatthebusinesspodcast. Enjoy this episode, you guys, and I will chat at you soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of What the Business. Today, I have Anita Chohan. She is the CEO and founder of In Good Company. She is also just a boss lady and does so many other things. I will let her introduce herself and dive into, you know, what she wants to share and tell you about her job and what she does because it's it's pretty impressive. So, Anita, hi, welcome. Thank you so much for being on today. Hi, Josie. Thank you so much for the great intro um, and for having me here today. I, I guess like a good place to start is just a little bit about me. I've been in marketing and specifically in marketing and tech in Toronto for the last, let's say like nine years now. I kind of uh, fell into marketing. I have a background in PR and actually for a very long time, I was going to be a lawyer and somehow okay. ended up tech and I just you know life takes you places and I'm just going with it and I love the journey so far but uh, right now I am working as a fractional CMO for lots of um, tech-based startups where I just come in and I help them build out their marketing department I help them with positioning and copy and building out everything they need like a solid foundation to go maybe raise money a seed fund or to actually just start marketing the business from the get-go and um, on top of that I do a lot of um, content marketing freelancing and writing and I also have um, a passion thing on the side I am a part-time sure. astrologer um, I, I have my own website I do birth charts for people and I read the stars for everybody whoever that's wants. awesome yeah. yeah that's awesome I feel like that's pretty it's kind of funny I know a lot of people family friends and stuff like that that started out as lawyers or at least took their LSAT and they were totally prepared to go down that route and then just something came up and they found another love and they are doing something different so I feel like that's pretty common I mean studying the law is it's complex but there's also so many layers to it so obviously something different could interest different people about that career um but yeah, I also have to admit my partner and I read your, uh, the astrology website that you have. We read ours for our astrology signs and like spooky. We were both like, oh, what? that is so bang on. <laughs> oh, I love hearing that. I just like, 
I, I hope that it resonates with people. I mean, it's been such a tool for me. I take it very um, lightly. I call myself like a, a reluctant astrologer because at the same, as much as I love it, at the same time, I believe that, you know, it, it's not really founded in any concrete peer-reviewed science and we can't really say it's real, but anecdotally for sure, with a lot of confirmation bias, it works. Um, but yeah. I really love it because it helped me understand myself and understand how I can be better for the people in my life. And also for this uh, freelancer horoscope, so when we're talking about, I we actually built it. I collaborated with um, Mohammed, who is the CEO of Benji. Benji is like a freelancer type um, fintech product that helps freelancers with uh, like managing their taxes, finding tax cuts, and organizing just kind of their finances as a freelancer. Him and I wanted to approach that as like, how can you bring more mild mindfulness to your business? And, you know, fine, in the guise of, or in the structure of astrology, how do you do it and how do you be reflective about your every single day? How do you build relationships? And yeah, with the, with the stars governing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. No, we were both of us and it, it, yeah, it was super bizarre. <laughs> I'm glad that they hit home because I feel like there's like, a lot of insight you can take from it and you can maybe say like, yeah, that works. No, that doesn't work. Or yeah, let me think about how I'm going to approach. Mm -hmm. What what did we drop off at? Just so I can kind of continue. You were just just telling me about being a Sagittarius. (laughs) But yeah, I really love Sagittarians. I think that they're really um, unbridled enthusiasm for life and a desire to explore and learn about everything. The actual like one of the terms that um, astrologers use to describe Sagittarians is truth seeker so they like to get to the bottom of things learn like like dive deep into something and it's very different from their opposite sign Gemini Gemini is very superficial touches the surface and then Sagittarians go deep 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 into a subject Interesting. Yeah, 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 for sure. There's a lot happening right now. This will be um, as of Thursday, the sun is moving into Gemini, which is your opposite sign, like I said. And this is going to be really good when there's an opposition happening. It might feel uncomfortable. There might feel like there's a little bit of friction, but it will inspire you to do things. And Mm -hmm. there's a bunch of eclipses coming up that are on your sign and axis. So positive change is coming up your way, Josie. Nice. I'm into it. That's always good, right? Even if it isn't true, I always think like, that's a good fresh energy to look forward to. Totally, totally. And I mean, true or not, if you read it and you feel inspired or related to or touched in some way, it doesn't really matter. It's like, it's like healing crystals and stuff like that. Like, it doesn't really matter if it actually works, if it works for you, or it gives you a piece of something that you need or you're missing, then go for it. Whatever. I'm not going to shame that. It's totally awesome. (laughs) I feel that way too, right? Where it's like, I mean, as long as it's not something that's like ruling our governmental policy or impacting how (laughs) people live, if it works for you, that's great. I think of it a very reflective type of situation. What's the difference between me doing this or taking an MBTI and knowing that I'm a ENFJ or something like that, right? These are all things that we do. And we know psychologically, uh, well, I read a lot about like, I'm very interested in neuroscience and figuring out if there's like a connection between like these buckets that we put ourselves in based off of our birth time and if there's a correlation between our MBTI and stuff like that. So it's interesting. We just like like patterns as humans. It mm-hmm. makes 
make sense of the world. It helps us with these things. And maybe hopefully through these reflective practices, we can find ways to be better for ourselves, for those in our lives. And, you know, I just think like, it, this really, it dovetails really nicely, actually, all the astrology stuff that I like into the other work I do when it comes to marketing and um, a lot of the inclusive marketing that I do. Mm-hmm. I think everyone's so nuanced, right? Everyone has so many sides to them, but for so long, marketing has been just like market to this persona of a person that doesn't exist, this cardboard character that doesn't exist. But it's not, it doesn't have to be that way anymore. And I think that within the last year, and we briefly touched upon this before we jumped on, this whole idea of like, after George, the murder of George Floyd and the reckoning that happened in the US. And now, like you mentioned with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict that's happening, it's literally in our best interest to remember that we're all individual people and how we market the voice that we use and how we speak to customers or just in general or communications has to keep that in mind. I always urge a lot of the brands I work with and companies I've worked with to look at the things that uh, tie us together as humans versus those individual things. Like what are some common human values? Like how can we amplify that mm-hmm. in what we do and the uh, marketing, just communications and marketing in general, like um, hope, love, things like that. That's what I try to go back to, but at the same time, remembering that we're all very unique at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's kind of that herd mentality of you want what everyone else is doing and everyone else is like, even if it seemingly has, you want that because we all want to be included and we all want to feel a part of something. And I mean, that ties in with, you know, inclusion in your communication and just even astrology, like what we were talking about originally, like it's just all ties in together. Um, and that's great. So you diving right into it. Um, (laughs) I love it. It's so good. So talk a little bit more about just kind of your journey and how you got here and how you started freelancing and what that's been like for you. Oh yeah, I guess like I said, I was my whole life thinking I'm going to be a lawyer, going to be a lawyer. And I actually get, I do my LSAT and I get a job before I go to law school um, at a law firm. And I'm kind of working there. Just, I was doing court reporting and I got to sit in a bunch of uh, discoveries and I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And I was like, oh my goodness. I had one of those moments where like my whole life, I've been, this was it, this was it. And everything kind of cracked. And I was like, okay, God else. So at the same time, I started doing my master's in PR. And I also met with like met up with some women at this law firm who also didn't want to pre- like continue with the law track. And we actually um, started building a company together. Uh, and it was my first taste of entrepreneurship. And the company was an organic tampon company called Your Box Club. We were actually on Dragon's Den. Uh, we heard, cool. yeah, it was kind of a bummer. But this is it. The, like when you're in startups, when you're starting a business, you have to be resilient and you have to be okay with hearing no. But I love the feeling and I really enjoyed you know, the idea of building something. So I got my master's. I, for some reason, continued along the track thinking, okay, I'm going to work in government. If I'm not going to be a lawyer and I'm just going to go in government, I'll still be able to impact and help people. And I worked for a lobby group and found that it was quite stifling. All the while, I was doing freelance stuff on the side. I was finding ways to like connect and, um, you know, just find ways to like learn about different industries and still be able to like write and continue like uh, just growing my craft as a writer and yeah so I was working 
at a lobby group, found it was going too slow and I made the switch over to tech. And while I worked in tech, I worked at like, I've worked at an AI company. I've worked at an e-commerce company. I've worked, um, most recently, I'm a founding member of uh, a cremation company called Irene Cremations. And all those different subject matters have helped me really see kind of just like, no matter what the subject matter is, you have to talk to people like humans. And then at the same time, I was also working at a company called Crescendo, which is a diversity and inclusion company. And this one was the most exciting for me because I got to work with people who were, let's say, the head of DNI in a big business to business company. And they were trying to create more impactful DNI programs in their organization. And I got to talk to them and see how they were marketing, give them the tools that they needed to make sure that every single employee in their company was heard and seen and understood. And that was also the ethos of the company I was working at. All the while, I realized that there were so many brands I had worked at, even myself, that had hit, like, had not hit the mark when it came to inclusion in the marketing itself. Like, it's one thing to do, you know, internal inclusion, diversity inclusion programming run by HR, but when you're outside of it, you're talking to the people, your audiences, your customers, there's so many of us as marketers that don't know what we're doing. And... It's so funny because so many of us come from different backgrounds and we are so nuanced and layered as humans, but we don't really know how to necessarily break free from the mold or what we've been taught and to kind of speak as humans to each other. And um, so in the little most recent while, I started really exploring that and figuring out how can I be, you know, a person that teaches others about inclusion in marketing and how to do that. Like, I mean, I never, growing up, one of the stories I always tell is like, I, you know, my parents were immigrants and I came, I was born here and like, I realized like growing up, I would never think of myself when I was getting married or the idea of me getting married, wearing my like traditional Hindu sari, things like that. When it came to a wedding, I thought about me being in a white wedding dress. And it's mm. like, that's because of what was being marketed to me. And, yeah. and, you know, like, yeah, that was like, what, 25 years ago, 30 years ago now, but still it's one of those things where I was raised with that idea. And I still think that these things are really pervasive in our society. And it's up to us as marketers to be very mindful of what we put out there because it can shape a, like a person's perception, a self-perception and how they navigate the world, how it did, it, it did that for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So I want to touch on that at some point, but I do want to, well, I have so many things I want to ask and say, <laughs> um, but I want to talk about kind of, you seem to work a lot with businesses and small business businesses, excuse me, and stuff like that. Um, but what is the difference from a communication standpoint and diversity and inclusion standpoint, marketing, all of it, um, dealing with a sole proprietor versus a company that has even just one employee, but at least more than one person. Um, What's the communication like? How does it vary from what you've seen? In terms of me, uh, like with doing external or internal communication based stuff? Well, if it's a sole proprietor. Both, I guess, yeah. (laughs) I've helped the freelance stuff I've done I've helped a lot of you know entrepreneurs um sole proprietors business owners kind of build up their brand and to also kind of uh, figure out what the best way to position themselves in a very busy marketplace similarly to a company of 
two people plus even because mm-hmm. some of the startups I work at are very small and I'm like maybe one of the first people to come and help them with like all of this. So very similar for both in the sense of positioning and framework and understanding who they're speaking to externally, how they're speaking to them, how they can tie their brand values back to that. And one thing I really urge everyone and like never stop doing this companies, never stop talking to your ideal candidate or customer, like whoever that might be, always talk to people, even talk to people who say no to you about buying your product or who aren't maybe your ideal candidate, because you'll learn so much from them. One thing I always do when I come into companies or when I start a new job is I do a two week plus maybe sprint where I literally just sit on the phone and talk to our ideal customer and literally pick up their lingo, understand how they came to this place where they're at, specifically for like B2B when I work for big organizations, like like for someone who works, let's say in a diversity and inclusion capacity for a big company, how do they get into this work? It's demanding. It's very full of emotional labor or like using the lingo that they use to make sure that like we understand how they're talking. But when it comes to those types of communications, it's important that you're speaking their language. It's really important that you're able to mirror, mirror it back. And I think that it shows a level of understanding of where they're coming from and you know why they might have even built their business or they might like why they even have come to buy a product like yours or interested in your service or whatever it might be. So speaking mm-hmm. their language is really important. I always like encourage brands to look into that. And when it comes to like uh, just plain old communications, like being smart about how you approach language is huge. So inclusive language guides are massive. And I think like, it's, it's not just like a set it and forget the thing, like always assume that all your communications and all of your positioning is subject to change. It's a living document. Um, Our understanding of terms and identity and everything in our society is constantly shifting. So you have to also be willing to shift when you recognize that maybe we shouldn't use that word anymore, pull it, keep adapting, understand who you're talking to. For example, I'm working with a company right now that is building a product for um, new mothers and new parents for like, kind of like a what to expect when you're expecting, but an app. And one of the things that we're looking at is like, what is language? Like we want to be as inclusive as possible. Thinking things like, it's not just a mother and father. There's a birthing parent. There's someone like, you know, maybe it's your partner or maybe it is like, we're still using traditional language, but we're also so aware that there are so many different forms of family can take these days that assuming that the traditional language will resonate is actually going to shut out a large group of people who we might want and are very keen to support as well through this whole journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. I think that's something I've been working on in my businesses, like not using bride or groom and just kind of couple, you know, generic terms. And it's hard, like it's been a habit ingrained for so long that changing it has been like, it's funny, I'll catch it later. I'll be like, oh, I didn't do that in that caption. I'll go back and edit it. And then slowly over time, I've gotten better. Um, But even now I still, you know, I'll be writing a draft of something and go back and be like, oh, I got to change that. I got to change that. So it is funny that you say that because you do want to be I mean there's nothing wrong with being slightly vague because it just includes so many more people um but then I have a question that like I really want to know because I think it's 
it's a good, I mean, I'm not, I don't want people to use this question as an excuse not to be inclusive in their language, but I think that there's something to be said about like your niche. So like if you're, and I believe firmly every business should be open to serving everyone and anyone, and there should be no limitations on who they can serve. But for example, I have only ever photographed like two Hindi weddings in my entire life. So that's not my ideal client because I've only done that working for other photographers. I don't have that in my portfolio. It's not in my repertoire of knowledge. I'm a much more tiny, small elopement styled photographer. So if you want to talk a little bit about that and still being inclusive and still being open within your niche and what that could look like for different companies, because I think that's probably where some people struggle a bit because I know I kind of have toyed with different words and language online with just kind of keeping my personal business really inclusive, but also still servicing that niche and ideal client that I have that like avatar that is a very specific kind of person or I mean, within reason specific, I use air quotes, but yeah, go, go for it. (laughs) Those are two parts here, right? It's like, know your niche, know it, (laughs) know what you want to play in. And if that's it, you're cool with that. Keep it within those confines and keep it inclusive within those confines for sure. But that's where I also like really tell people, make sure you know who those people are. Talk to them all the time. If that language with those people, that group of people that is in your niche is shifting, make sure you're on top of that all the time. And yeah, maybe it is a situation of like, yeah, I don't, I'm not adept at this one group. I'm not closed off to it, but it's not my target. Then you know what? Do what you know your best at. Do what you are excelling at and you're comfortable with. And make if that's good, then make sure you know the language, the lingua, lingo that fits that group. I don't think that there is anything wrong with keeping it tight in that way because it also shows that you know that group really well. And that also will resonate really well with them. But in so many cases, like, if I'm talking about like the work I've done in the past, the companies I've worked with, we're talking about massive organizations and also smaller mid-sized ones and startups that are trying to appeal to a larger group of people that like for the mm-hmm. company I worked at, we service people who were from all levels. Like we were talking about like someone who's in the leadership position. We're talking about just the average employee as well. So if you're doing something, if your service or your offering is something that is niche, but also is speaking to a wide group of people with tons of varying personalities, layers and nuances, like we talked about, being inclusive is such a necessity and there's free things online. Like if like questions around language and words, stuff like that, really like I, I think like there's tons of free stuff available everywhere. One thing I also urge people, so, sole proprietors and also people who are in like two plus or one plus employee companies, maybe even create like a every so often quarterly check-in on your comms and make sure you have things in place where you're like, okay, being aware when something big happens in the news, being aware of maybe just, you know, it's, it's tough. Sociopolitical stuff happens at any time. So it might need to be more than just once a quarter. It could be once a month, things like that. Or when something happens, bake in, check-ins with the language, make sure you're articulating things right and be smart. Like when, know when to post and when not to post on social media um, and specific to your niche group 
keep it keep, be smart if something is affecting a like group of people that you are working with like like I said last year or even right now anyone in your group that might be Israeli or Palestinian any of your audience might be that way it might be in your best interest to be aware of how you're marketing uh, we encourage a lot of people last year after George Floyd's murder to just don't do it. Like we saw a lot of, uh, I talk about this in my, um, a lot of the talks I give around inclusive marketing. I really highlight the um, Pepsi commercial. I'm not sure if you've seen it with um, one of the Jenners. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And I kind of talk about the impact of that and what that meant for a brand. And again, it's a massive brand, but it's an example of like what not to do. Like don't co-opt a movement, be smart. Like don't know what is going to resonate and what doesn't resonate and make sure that you're not living in a silo when you're doing stuff like ads or making messaging. Like try to include other people in the conversation because I think that, and the Pepsi example is such a good example of what not to do and how I think groupthink allowed something to go so far that it was so bad. Like they... Uh, according to stats, they have not recouped the loss in terms of sales from that. It's been like three years in. Wow. That's wild. Ouch. (laughs) It's just, it's a lot of the questions that came up were like, how did it even air? This is a massive company. They're working with someone doing creative. They're working with people doing messaging. They're Like this didn't cross your mind at all that there were so many things that you didn't hit. And I think like that's why a network is really good if you're a sole proprietor, if you're worried about like, oh my gosh, I'm in my own head about this stuff because it can be so touchy, right? Like Mm -hmm. I use this word. Is this a bad word? Can I say this? How do I, do I capitalize B in black? Yes, you do. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Like things like that, right? That if you don't like, if you don't know, it's okay. Ask. And we're all learning the Best thing I think you can do is maybe find a group of people. Maybe I always like, I have a group of freelancers now that I lean on and that I trust that I feel like there's no judgment and I can learn and do better if I don't know something. So lean on your community when you can and maybe mm-hmm. like even create like, um, I tell big businesses to do this too, like create like an internal council where you check in on the language that you're using and things mm-hmm. like that. your sole proprietor, get a community together, find some friends. Yeah. No, that's really smart because that is a challenging part of not being with other people and with a team. I mean, the Pepsi is a great example of like even a team can, there must've been so many different points of approval that that ad had to go through. Um, so the fact that it still went out is, is kind of crazy, but for sure as a sole private, I mean, you don't have that team. So you don't have those people back checking. So I like that idea of um, kind of merging with people in your group. So that actually leads to another question. Um, I'm totally like not even looking at my questions or notes because I just love, I'm just going to flow with it. Um, flow with it, go with it and flow. I don't know. <laughs> but it has to do with social media specifically and how I feel like it's very common for, yeah, these social things. Um, political things, whatever to happen. And for people to start sharing other people's posts and links and, you know, captions and information and stuff like that. And I want to talk a little bit about how to do that strategically and just questions people could be asking themselves before, because I know for me, there's been so many times where I've just like, 
gone and posted what I thought was right. And I felt really confident in it. And I mean, I haven't had any backlash, thank goodness so far. But of course, there is that thought of I am just sharing someone else's resource. And, you know, how should I be like triple checking that resource? Like, what does that look like? Should I be making my own post with my own words? How do I word that properly? Just talk a little bit about that approach. Because you know, you can make a big blog post and curate it and rework it and work your way through it so that it's really intentional. But posting on social media is so quick and so fast that I feel like a little less thought can go into it, which isn't a bad thing necessarily. But just talk a little bit about advice you give and what, um, yeah, questions people can ask themselves before and all that. It's a big question. A lot there, but I think the first thing I'm going to say is make sure it's not performative. If you want to share information, make sure that you're actually care about it. Don't do it as a brand just because you feel like you need to. Don't do it just because, you know, don't post that black square if it means nothing to the brand and you're not actually going to care or change how you operate as a person. If it doesn't like mean something to your values, I don't think you should do it. And I urge brands to be like, be smart about what you post online because people are watching. We have now this uh, area, this like more than ever, this um, soapbox, not soapbox necessarily, it is actually a platform, a really good platform for people to like, hopefully call in versus call out when a brand is being performative. And when I say performative, what I mean by that is just posting to give lip service and not changing anything internally or in the way that the company operates that is in line with the things that they're posting. So, you know, no, like Amazon, for example, big company, we think like, you know, they post this blog with BLM happening last year and they're like, we stand in solidarity. Yet, I think like less than 3% of their board is comprised of any black employees. And most of their black employees are at uh, lower paying, lower skill jobs. So it's like, if you really cared and it matters to you, instead of doing a performative blog post, you would think ahead and be like, how can we actually sponsor and encourage underrepresented and undersupported groups in our company to get the opportunities that they deserve, right? Like, these are the types of things I mean by performative. So that's the biggest question. Do you actually believe what you're posting? Do you care about this? Or do you, are you just doing it to pay lip service? Secondly, definitely check your sources. It's better in many cases, I think, to trust an expert on something versus you speaking for a group. So you're able to, as a brand to say, I care about this and we stand in solidarity. That's really great. But don't purport to know what a community or a group of people is going through. You're not that person to speak for them, right? So that's one of the things that uh, was one of a hard lesson that I learned in one of the jobs that I was working at where I tried to put together Black History Month resources and with the best intent, even, I use language that could be othering to other people and specifically to the group that I was trying to provide resources for. With that in mind, it's not that what you're doing is bad if you go out and you say something. It's more just like, we don't know the experiences, the lived experiences of a group of people. So if it's better in some cases, just rely on experts or trusted person online reposting, resharing what they're saying. Maybe it is like, we agree with this. As a brand, we agree with this. We support this. And, and also here are the ways that we're going to support beyond this one day. And those are the biggest things I think like 
if you fail to do that and people notice the impact is not like it's not only just to the brands the trust that you're you're breaking that trust with the people that you're trying to help and support and whether or not they belong to that group or not that group that you're talking about or you know we call them what was it social media activism like instagram activism things like that Mm -hmm. people people will talk about it and now your brand will take a big blow from that Mm -hmm. so use trusted sources make sure it's not performative and you know like I always suggest like, even before you say anything, take a hard look at how you're doing things. And if there's anything that you can do that's better, be reflective, be smart. And you know, there's lots of resources online. I think that there's a lot of ways that you can educate yourself and be better. I know being, being your own business owner and you know, you're doing so much, there's already so much on your plate, but this is bigger than it seems like yeah. it's huge. And taking the time to learn and understand and adapt is in your best interest and the longevity of your company as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. I mean, as all that was unraveling last year, I never once thought to write my own post or make my own post about it. I just, yeah, I just kind of stuck to sharing resources and I felt really happy with that. And it was kind of after the fact, you know, like later once kind of the dust settled that I kind of like, oh, should I have done more? Should I have written stuff? Should I have been more, you know, active in my my post posts, like on my feed kind of thing. Um, and I just didn't really know how to answer that for myself. I was just like, I have no, I have no idea. Like I did what I felt was right. And it's just like, as obviously, well, maybe not obviously, but I mean, my face is on the <laughs> podcast. icon. I am white female. And so, you know, there is an aspect of nervousness around it. Cause you're like, I want to make sure I'm doing the right thing. And it's just, yeah. So I love yeah sharing um, what the experts are posting and sharing that and giving their voice a even bigger platform by sharing it with yours. So that's great. Um, and then, yeah, I was going to say something else, but I completely forgot. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. All right. Like you have a platform here even and opening it up and inviting other people in with different perspectives, things like that. You're able to provide a space where you're not just being performative. You're actually giving people uh, like me, uh, can't really see me. I am an Indian woman. And it's one of those things where it's like, you're giving space to people to share their stories and their experiences. So you're not just being performative. So there is that element too, where it's like, yeah, if it was a situation of like, look at, you have a podcast, look at who you're featuring on it. You have a blog. Are you inviting um, people of color, indigenous writers, things like that, like groups like that? Are you inviting that and partnering with them? And make sure it's not performative. I work with them, give them profile, give them opportunities and uh, give them space to share their stories. Because again, going back to the very first thing that we talked about, everyone's so nuanced and so layered. And the like, we know now there's been so many studies, but Creativity and collaboration and innovation increases with more diverse voice at the table. So not only are you like able to give these people space in different underrepresented groups spaces to speak and share their work, but you're also helping increase like innovation and maybe you'll get different ideas and your brand can then maybe act on something. This was like one of the biggest things I tell big companies as well, it's like, look at who you're hiring. There there have been studies now too where people don't realize, but a lot of their job postings are very geared towards like a specific 
profile. So now there's um, Textio is a brand that has a resume checker and you can actually like, go in and see if there's any unconscious bias that's been coded into your job posting. Because sometimes like, do we even think about that? Like, what's, are we like, there's so many companies that are like, I'm having trouble finding right talent for my team and I'm getting one type of person. It might be a white male and it's in tech. So maybe that's just what happens. But then you had to think like, what is the role I'm playing in this? Like, maybe I am using language that I'm not even aware of. And this is where that unconscious bias comes in. So there's lots of really great tools and like tons of great stuff that AI is doing to help us check our biases. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it shouldn't just stop there, right? There's like, I think it's a, a continual learning process. And One of the things I note is that a lot of people are afraid to broach it because they're, it's such a a space where it's easy to be canceled. So learning is unfortunately hard because people don't want to share or want to admit when they don't know something. So as much as we can, if we can foster the idea that we're all on our own journeys and that we want to support each other, um, I think that's like the best way to do it. That's why I think a good community can make all the difference. Mm. Yeah, totally. Okay. You keep touching on like so many things I want to ask. So it's hard to pick which one to follow up with. Um, but for sure the camps cancel cultures is crazy. And I actually saw this incredible quote and I'm not even going to do it justice, but it was just that by engaging in cancel culture, you're like perpetuating all these ideas that you you're also standing for because it's all about progress not like perfection like everyone is on a different stage in this journey in diversity and inclusion and so it's important to be you know forgiving when people do own up and apologize and recognize their mistakes and are willing to learn from them of course that is fundamental to to not canceling someone as they actually have to be willing to learn and grow and recognize that they made a mistake in the first place but i remember reading that and being like whoa that's seriously good because it online it is such a place of cancellation so I love that because yeah I think it's about progress but for sure finding the balance within a community so that you can be checking your your words your sources your everything before things go out because that's a part of your job as a business (laughs) it is unfortunately like we think like oh I'm really maybe like I'm a good writer. And then you suddenly build a business. You're like, suddenly I have to care about all these other things. I'm, I thought I was just doing content marketing. I was making a case study. Like you don't think about like all these extra stuff, like finances, whatever, but also your public perception and brand and everything is all connected to this. So I think one of the best things I can suggest to people is just be a detective, like be curious, approach things with curiosity and try to find ways to solve problems for your audiences like that those are like the biggest things and by approaching into curiosity it's less about being right it's more about like learning and um growing and what you know so when it comes to cancel culture if you approach it more like i'm curious to learn more instead of being like oh man i messed up and closing yourself off to it and we all know like i i know that like there's been studies around this as well where if you call someone out online, it further pushes that person into their beliefs, right? So if anything, it's ineffective and you're also like not helping anything. And I don't know, like this is where I think there's a little bit of allyship that needs to come in. Like if we take each other along on a journey, we can all be better and we can make it a better place for everybody. Mm -hmm. I do 
believe that a lot of um, the online stuff is easier to do because you're not really in front of people, so you can say whatever you want. Um, but again, approach with curiosity as much as possible, especially as a brand owner. And if you mess up, it's okay. Everyone messes up. We're on a journey. Just make sure that you apologize. You understand what you've done. It's not performative. I'm going to underscore that not performative part in so many ways because people will see through that now. And it's like we're in the age of demanding receipts. Like people want to see. Yeah. So it's it just make sure you're doing it. If you're doing it, you're doing it right. And you're doing mm-hmm. it for right? Not just because, oh man, I messed up and um, it's going to cost me X number of sales. More like I messed up and it's the right thing to do because I totally excluded this group of people or I used the wrong word and that was my bad, right? Like take it (laughs) and learn from it. Yeah, totally. No, I love that. I think that's great. And it's, it can be tough at times, but you just got to humble yourself out and remind yourself that because, you know, it's totally normal. It's part of life. Um, you're not perfect, right? Yeah. Like, we're all learning. There's like, despite working in what I've worked in and having this background in DNI, like, I just told that story about like the Black History Month stuff. I failed at that, but I took that as an opportunity. Yeah, it stung. So I'm like, yeah, I'm a writer. I should know this. I am DNI, right? Like, I do this stuff every day. But it just taught me that, first of all, I can't speak for others. And what we did after that is actually go to the community and get them to write stories instead of someone else telling their stories for them. So we found a way to include a group of people in our marketing in a positive way. And I also learned and it's, yeah, it's humbling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I'll never do that again. And I'll make sure that my audiences are being represented correctly. Yeah. I love that. I actually have a question um, that's about, it's called celebrating failure. It's just like a time you made a mistake and what you've learned from it. I feel like that's probably yours because that's actually like such a good answer. I mean, if you have any other ones, go for it too. But it's just because we do make mistakes and it's about what you learned out of it. And so the reason I love asking this question on the podcast is because it's like other people can learn from your mistake. (laughs) That's a huge one. And I think like, obviously, no matter how much you know, you can't know a person's lived experience and even though I was provide trying to provide resources it wasn't necessarily my place to do it so I just I we've learned we learned from that and we've built a really great process for reviewing and checking pieces for othering language and being more cognizant of that um also I took that learning and put it to other areas of my life now when I do a lot of other writing and positioning and branding like I said for like a birthing parent versus a traditional mother and father, right? Like we, we're all adapting and learning. So that's definitely one of them. I have a myriad of failures that have brought me here <laughs> to be honest. And I feel like it's just, you have like, what, like whether it's like in the actual work that I've produced or published or um, even how I lead as a leader and a mentor, like there's all these learnings and I try to always look at it more positively. Like, there's been one time when I, one of my employees, something happened with um, a shared account on Canva and I was offboarding. I was leaving my role. I was offboarding and uh, this person was part of my team on Canva. And this is, a, I think, a tech problem, but it was, I took her off my team and I had no idea, but it was going to take away all of her files and I had no idea that was going to happen I couldn't even see her files and it became one of those things where I was like I don't 
no matter how much I tried to do or whatever, it came off as I was being careless to her. So there's failures, there's things like that, where it's like, okay, maybe I could have done a little bit better, more communicative, things like that. But there's failures where you're like, okay, what are the lessons I can learn from this? As a leader, tried my best. As long as you do your best at the end of the day, hopefully you will come out of it and learn something, right? Mm -hmm. There's like, like, there's so many, (laughs) like so many things I'm learn from and you know I'm I'm thankful for those lessons today yeah I love that no I think that's the whole point of making a mistake is they get to learn um so I do want to take a step back kind of to another point you made kind of circling back to some of my thoughts um about how in a big company there's ways not to be performative like you mentioned you know having employees of diversity um, in any form and, you know, having that be a part of your inner workings as well as your outer workings. But for someone like me, a lot of the listener, or I think uh, from what I know, most of the listeners are sole proprietors, um, and they are in more creative field. So it's a little bit harder to make your inner workings diverse. And I love what you mentioned about working with and doing creative projects with people of diversity, people of color, you know, LGBTQIA+. Plus community, all of it and more. Um, But are there any other ways an individual can diversify their inner workings? Because that is kind of a weird hurdle to have to approach as an independent business owner. Yeah, I think like, when I think about who, like when I've worked at bigger companies, it's obviously easier to just be like, wait, who are you hiring? Who are you bringing in right under you? But if you're working by yourself, definitely, I think like, the language you're using, the things that you use for your own processes, who do you go to first? Like what, who are you exposed to in your own circles? Or are you seeking out different people to connect with, even like within your own community? Like, are like, when I always, I always suggest to people, like, make sure that you're talking to different people from different backgrounds. And that whole idea that we talked about earlier about creating kind of maybe um, a group or a community to check in on like language and double check for things for you like that, like make sure that is as diverse as possible. Cause again, that might be a echo chamber, right? If it's not. So that's definitely one way that you can make sure that your inner workings or even your own perceptions are being challenged by other people. And that's almost like a layer of accountability, I feel like, that that you'll be put through as a sole proprietor. And if you're doing things like, I'm, maybe you're a photographer like you, and you think like, I actually have the capacity, if you can do it, say things like, I'm going to give a package away to an underserved community, or I'm going to work with someone. Like, maybe there's ways that you can do that to, like, increase kind of just, like, the way that you're interacting with these different groups or partner, like you're doing the podcast, for example, you as an example, you know, making sure that you're reaching out to people from different backgrounds to include them in those, in that language and part of your brand. Like, for blogs um, in past roles, I actively sought out writers who were um, BIPOC because it's like, you know, it, it's important for not only for them to have the profile and given the space and be paid for the great work that they're doing and have the opportunities that other people do, but also for us, because it's, we want to show different aspects. And this was specifically for um, the cremation company, which was small. We were like three people. And one of the things that I said, was like, okay, we have a small amount for a budget. I'm going to go and reach out to talk to someone about like the black experience in death. And what does that feel like? And like, if you're able to and give 
find like you know something back i don't know if as a sole proprietor if you're able to barter or give back to the community somehow finding ways to do that i think those are some easy ways um right away but inner working wise it can be tough so just always make sure that you're challenging your assumptions your language how you might even like if you're by yourself it's it's going to be an echo chamber so make sure you have some outside review or something Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. No, I think that's super good. And I most definitely have, you know, a couple people that I go to, but they're people that are already in my like personal circle, like my mom's, (laughs) you know, like it's not the most diverse. We're very similar, (laughs) but I love that. And that's great. I think that's super great insight. Um, So I want to talk about kind of just different verbiage online and transferring it from what does it look like on social media from a marketing perspective versus on a blog uh, versus on an email or just the varying ways you can communicate with your client. What are some changes that people can, should, or shouldn't make when transferring from different um, like writing online, if that makes sense. (laughs) like always say keep it kind of seamless throughout um make sure that it's your brand voice know that you're hammering your like brand voice down who you're speaking to make sure that carries throughout because there's no worse experience than ending up on different platforms of the same brand and having different language i mean there's different things that you can change like on facebook you might have a specific type of audience there versus on linkedin and you can adapt that but like main core values and messages and just kind of overall positioning and framing should be the same so i think that that's the biggest thing um and little things that you can do in terms of making sure that's inclusive like swapping out things words like guys and things like there's language like that. And this is like, if you literally just Google inclusive writing guides, you can find ways to quickly make better swaps and like note the language and like even cliches that we use that we have no idea about um, that we shouldn't be using, right? Like there's backgrounds to all of these things. So being aware of that, but yeah, if you want to start off, I would suggest doing like a uh, positioning exercise and that can really, really help with defining like all of those base things you need. And then it gets easier to then communicate across all the different platforms. And what I usually do from there is create a, like an, a blog writing style versus a social media community writing style. And so then you can use, you know, based off of like, you know, fun and playful, informative, using words like that to help direct what you put online on different platforms. Uh, one really good positioning guide um, I would suggest is by April Dunford. She has written this book called Obviously Awesome. It has more of a tech spin on it, but I find that the format and the structure that she has put together, she has a worksheet um, for positioning that is very helpful. And I've even used it for my own freelancing stuff for myself. And it's things like understanding your value prop, how are you articulating it? What proof points do you have to support that? All of these things, when you have it in one place, it'll make it easier for you to articulate it well based off of kind of the tone that you're going for with your brand on all the different platforms that you're on. And to be honest, it doesn't have to be very different from your blog to all of these things. If it's consistently hitting home with your values and what you believe as a brand, then there sh- it shouldn't be too difficult to stay in line within those parameters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And we can totally, I'll look that up and link it. And we can also I'll find a 
like a good thorough resource for, um, now I'm forgetting what you said for language and words and inclusivity swaps you can make. I'm more than happy to share with you what I share with people I talk I do, when I do my talks. I have like a whole guide of different things that you can use. Even things like yeah. I did on this, I have a couple of resources that I use for um, really good imagery for your blog, let's say, like of inclusive um, photography or imagery. And there's ones as well where they're actually built and created by BIPOC folks and you're able to then give back to that community and or if you can't afford that there's free options too so there's we're so lucky to be in this day and age because there first of all there should be no excuse for you to be able to be smart about how you communicate and do it effectively but we have so many resources at our fingertips to make us better and talk in class at what we do and just because we're sole proprietors so many of us we it doesn't mean that we can't be just as polished, just as thoughtful and just as mindful as those bigger brands. Yeah, no, totally. That's great. Yeah, well, for sure. I'll link some links so that people can um, start there at least um, when they're, as they're listening, they can kind of do do some reading as well. Uh, well, hopefully they listen first and then do the reading, but you know what I mean? <laughs> Anything to help. I think like, really good conversations to have like the fact that we touch upon cancel culture and things like that especially when so many brands you have to be on social media and then there's that fear right so I feel like hopefully people listen to this because there are like having the conversation is just the first start right and knowing that you're not alone in all the messes uh, the messes and the failures especially around this because it is such a touchy subject right like there are times when like I'm doing freelance writing for a brand and I'm writing something around DEI and I'll use like a term and I'm like, I know this is right, but I'll go back and I'll check it seven times because I'm like, I just want to make sure that I'm representing this correctly. And I know it changes every so often, right? Like there's conversation around BIPOC even. BIPOC has, it, it came up last year. I felt like more people were using it, became more common. But now on Twitter, I'm noticing people saying, I hate this term. I think it's X. Like there's lots of nuance language mm-hmm. as we know. <laughs> yeah. so. I was going to say, well, even the like LGBTQIA like even that is such a great example because you know that has just added letters and people are always like oh how many letters is it going to be but it's important to recognize like okay but as we're learning we're evolving and changing this because we're learning more and that's like the whole point (laughs) totally and there's a whole other thing that we have you and I haven't even touched upon is accessibility when we're talking about different platforms alt images and things like that. So like, we have to be mindful because these like, one of the best things about like the internet and being online has been the democratization of resources and information and all of these things. Yet at the same time, we have failed through our language and through all the things that we use, like even photography to provide things like alt tags to allow access for people who might be visually impaired or um, unable to like just navigate uh, products like nor like we normally do, right? Like, or how it's built. So it's, really unfortunate because there's such a miss with so many brands as well um, for the accessibility aspect of mm-hmm. maybe or any of their branding their website as well so that's something people can look at too I'll send some links of the tools I use for them and web based guidelines that will be really helpful um, for any of your listeners 
Yeah, for sure. No, that's a huge topic as well. And I know Instagram just added closed captioning to their stories, which is huge. It's super great. I also attended a masterclass yesterday and they had captions on the whole time, which was great because I've been to a masterclass by that company a few times and that this is the first time I've ever seen it. Um, so that's also a huge part of the inclusion topic that uh, we, we just briefly touched on. But yeah, it's important to think about too. Um, so I still have many questions, but I do, uh, I do want to kind of ask you about how you've grown your business as a freelancer. I just have one more question about communication and I mean, we can keep talking about it forever. I don't care. (laughs) Um, but it's just about misconceptions about communicating online. Um, are there any kind of like funny things or myths or serious things that you know about that you want to share? Mm, That's interesting. The first thing I think of immediately is like this pressure to always get it right. And that's why I was saying like before, sometimes you're not going to get it right. Like (laughs) you're just going to miss the mark. And I'm one of those people as well who literally sits in front of Twitter and writes tweets out, edits it seven times, and then deletes it. (laughs) (laughs) So is it funny enough? Is it smart enough? Is it pithy enough like all of these things I think one of the misconceptions is that you have to have something original to say or you have to have a take on something um even as a brand but sometimes you know even like we talked about sharing information is okay you don't necessarily have to be the first like the front runner sharing like ideas it's great but that's a lot of pressure for I think a lot of entrepreneurs and sole proprietors because like on top of every like maybe that's just not your wheelhouse that's okay right I think like it's hard because it's one of the most um main ways now that we are told to sell and to market ourselves. So the biggest misconception maybe I'm, I see is because I always feel a lot of pressure around make, getting it perfect and getting it right. And, you know, it's okay if there's a spelling mistake in your tweet. It's okay. Like I recently had a client who had posted something and the image had an error. In it. And on Instagram, you can't edit the image, you can edit, edit, the, edit the caption. And they said to me, can like, can we take it down? I'm like, but people have already seen it. They've already liked it. And it's okay. I think it's okay. Like just take the pressure off. It's, I personally don't see a problem in it. And it depends on your brand. But I think this idea of like weighing it out for yourself is important. You, like we move really fast. Errors happen. People are more forgiving than you think. And it doesn't reflect poorly if there's maybe one thing out of place. If it's glaring, for sure, uh, we ended up taking it down because we thought it was very important. But it's up to you. Use your discretion. And I think it's just, there's a lot of, um, because of that thing that we talked about, there's a lot of people watching all the time. Uh, there's a lot of pressure to be perfect and to be funny and pithy, like all the things I said earlier. But like, you know, take it easy on yourself. Be kind to yourself. That's the biggest thing. And um that's, I always think also, if I don't have something to say about it or about something that's going on, I'm, I don't need to say anything or my brand doesn't have to say anything. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. I, I know my mom is a stickler and she'll be like, you spelled this one word wrong. And I'm always just like, I don't care. I don't care. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just can't be bothered. Um, but I think that's true for, you know, minor things like that. Think of how fast, um, like, 
Perez Hilton story disappears. So, I don't know. That's a weird example, but you know, people do move on pretty quick. There's so much content, so much to consume all the time. They're not going to remember a minor <laughs> thing. I mean, and also we're all just doing our best. Like I just like, and I have to keep remembering like for myself as well, sometimes I just get so burnt out on social media because of all the other things I have to do. Like you're telling me I have to engage there too. Like I have to like handhold clients and have to work online as well. Like I get tired, everyone gets tired. But mm -hmm. if there's any ways, like I always encourage people like maybe like hire or get someone to do your social media. It'll take a lot of pressure off of you. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, if you have it in your budget and you need the extra help, just do it for sure. For sure. Yeah. Like more and more since I started, one of the first jobs I had in marketing was as a community manager. And I realized like it's a full-time job. And if you want to do it well and you think it's a good place for you as a channel for sales to grow your company, you think it's a good place, then I would suggest to a lot of brands to set money aside and hire someone that can focus on that. Or take a large part of your week to make sure that you're doing it right. Because you can tell what someone's invested in versus when someone hasn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so speaking of being busy with your clients and not being on social media, <laughs> um, you, I mean, you have so many projects on the go. It seems like just wild. So talk a little bit about how you balance it all and how you work smart and strategically so that you can be working for yourself and building your business, but also servicing your clients. Yeah. Maybe tricks. Very big thing for me. I'm constantly like, I'm very just acutely interested in um, personal development. I just love it. I like reading stuff about this uh, space and how to streamline my work processes and stuff like that. But because like you, like you rightly said, I have a lot I'm juggling. So to be able to do that and do it effectively, having strong workflows is very important. So for me, I really rely on things like Notion. Notion is a really great tool for organizing and having different pages and Kanban boards of like upcoming, doing, to do, kind of like done, kind of uh, different columns and switching between them. I am also a massive, massive advocate for Pomodoros and time blocking techniques. That's actually how I get a lot of my work done. So when it comes to admin these things, like no one wants to spend time doing accounting. I personally don't. I don't do those. I just spend a lot of time on my finances and that stuff. It's just not my jam. <laughs> so um, I try to do Pomodoro YouTube. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I get in. Like we have to. It's so important for us, uh, like running our business correctly and making sure that we don't run into problems later on. But when you do things like Pomodoros, you can actually, like, if for those who don't know what Pomodoros are, they're timed blocks of work. So you set out, like, one to two priority tasks in a day, and you finish the first one, uh, and you have to anticipate how long it'll take you, and each time block is 25 minutes, and then you get a five-minute rest in between. And so let's say I'm writing a new blog for one of my clients, which I did this morning, and it took... I said it's going to take me four blocks, so four different 25-minute increments, and I timed myself. I got done three, and that was exciting, and then I moved on to the next task in my list, but it's easier to time block and then get all your things done, and actually, as you get better at it, um, you take less time to do it, or you actually, 
it, a weird thing happens where your task actually ends up fitting that time more and more. So like I, it, you get really adept at managing your time with this technique. And um, when it used to take me six plus hours to do like really in-depth research with blogs, things like that, and writing and editing, I can now compress that much more. And my goal was with finances and stuff like that, once a week, sitting down like three to four Pomodoros a week to make sure that I'm on top of that. And especially because I'm doing a lot of my own outbound now versus like people would come to me. What I, a lot of my freelancing, we didn't really touch about illness. I worked full time a lot for the last like five years and freelancing was like a side thing I always had going. And within the first couple, like last um, like six, six months, I've gone full throttle with my freelancing. So a lot of the work I have to do is building out those sales funnels and things like that, because before they would just come to me and now I'm like act actively seeking that out. So I have to spend a lot of time and building, I built myself like a CRM with Airtable, which is free. And you can use templates that they have to like, you know, log sales calls, put people in the funnel, super self-organized. So a lot of the things that I do to help my business grow all have to start with a really good foundation and that foundation is like good workflow and um, I also really really um, recommend people looking into I have a, a friend and someone who is helping me scale my business it's called um, freelance sales blueprint by Stefan Palios and he has he has this great course that I'm doing and has taught me so much about scaling my freelance business in really great ways and so that, that has really helped me grow it from something that was just like, it, honestly, and I'll tell you, I've 5X'd my work in the last few months. Yeah. Um, just say the name of the thing again, because you're kind of dipping it out, in and out again. I'm so sorry about it. So Stefan um, Paleos Freelance Sales Blueprint is what it's called. Perfect. But yeah, so like, I guess like how I've grown it is I'm so thankful that I have a really good referral system, like in, in the network, and that has helped me so much. But honestly, like I because I've been marketing on Twitter, Twitter has been one of the best tools for me for finding work. And there's a hashtag called marketing Twitter. And honestly, there's some toxic aspects of it that are very clear, but there's some very positive aspects of this group of people. They just want to see people thrive and grow and they will help you grow your marketing for like, and get, like you can just ask them a question. If you tag the hashtag marketing Twitter, you will have answers to your question. People want to come and help you. So that's a really great resource for anybody that's looking for like, how would I do this? Or I'm looking for a writer. I'm looking for a photographer, things like that. They will help you. So I really recommend people checking that out. Love that. That's great. That's great to know. Um, do you outsource anything in your business? Yeah, actually, um, I one of the things I, I did for a little bit, but I recently stopped saying more time was my social media. Um, I just worked with somebody. I also kind of um, always look for ways that I can help people who are just starting off. So I always kind of go to like uh, people who have maybe just, just graduated, giving them a chance to try things out. Uh, friends of friends, stuff like that. Um, other outsourcing, I have outsourced website making. I know how to do web design. I can do it, but I'm not great at it. I'm not good. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, 100% say that. I'm it's not, not easy. <laughs> it's it's time consuming on the best of days. <laughs> and just like, I, I know where my skills are. My skills are not there. <laughs> right? <laughs> 
I can spend like probably quadruple the amount of hours someone who is better at it than me and still not get closed, right? So it's like even design, like I can do stuff. Thank you, Canva. I can do stuff. I can build a lot of really great things now, but I am not like a, a graphic designer. So that's why for the freelancer horoscopes, I actually outsourced the imagery for that. And because I really wanted to be a brand forward brand, like you know, website and idea. So we spent a good amount of money to make sure that that was reflected in the design. So yeah, I've definitely outsourced a lot of stuff when it comes to web um, design and also for any UI UX for like uh, maybe even designing uh, landing pages, stuff like that. But mostly the rest I do myself. <laughs> Good for you. Um, that's awesome. So you said the last six months have been more just you haven't been working another job. So talk about where your clients are coming from now versus maybe before and what's giving you that foot traffic, so to speak, yeah. <laughs> digital foot traffic digital foot traffic. So hundred percent, I'm be like really going deep into my brand and uh, building out workflows to make it easy for people to find me. And um, like one of the things that that freelance sales blueprint dives deep into is actually this, and this has helped me build out what the next few weeks are going to look like, like uh, building referrals. And right now I'm going through things like testimonials and making sure that I'm getting those proof points from my clients on my website. I've just redone my website, but I'm going to go deeper to make, you know, to offer different things like newsletters, stuff like that. So that is all in an effort to build in a better inbound funnel. So another thing is honestly Twitter. Twitter has really helped me to get clients or like, uh, thankfully I have a really strong network that, you know, when someone sees someone looking for a copywriter or content marketer, my friends will tag me or like people know me in the industry. So thankfully that helps to my advantage, but I also have a group. I'm, I've thought out different content marketing and copywriting and freelancing type Slack groups and communities and join them and building relationships through there has really helped me to find you know, new jobs, opportunities and freelancing, um, you know, in different ways too, not just in copywriting. So like things like we need an ebook and I'm like, well, I've never done that. So let me just try it in this way. I've done tons of ebooks, but they're like a specific vertical, let's say, um, depending on what your business does or where, you know, what type of space you occupy, there could be a myriad of different um, meetup groups or um, Slack groups that could be really good to join, right? Just because again, there's that, there's the, you know, I, I really believe that your brand is really contingent on who you know as well. And your growth and the type of business you get, word of mouth is really important. And um, that's why I think like testimonials is really important to make sure you're grabbing those and putting them on your website because that has helped me. You know, people will be like, I worked with this person or this person told me that you worked with them and had a really good time. They had a really good you know, interaction. So I'd love to work with you next, Nita, that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. I think a lot of people, it seems like a lot of businesses trend in that direction where it starts more online and then slowly turns into referrals. Um, so I love that testimonials are great. <laughs> I mean, for like some service-based things like Google, make sure that you're asking for the like Google reviews afterwards, like make it easy on yourself, like set up workflows where like 
you know, you get an email drip campaign where you like after immediately after you're done with a client, you set them over into that next um, status, switch them over, and then they get served the emails that you wrote and then ask them. Like you have to be bold and ask them for it. They're not good. Sometimes people just forget, but find ways to like remind them and, you know, don't be too pushy because that will frustrate them. Yeah, I know. The best advice I ever got was that like everyone wants to help you if they can. So if you let them know that it's to help you and just how much it will help you, people will be all over it. And yes, that people are generally very busy. So a few reminders is not the end of the world. (laughs) I also think like, yeah, people are super busy. So what are the ways that you can make it less like um, less frictiony, right? So sometimes what I've done is I actually just ask a person for a testimonial and I'll say to them, I'm happy to write it for you. Why don't I send you some copy to get you started and you can edit it accordingly. Right. That in some cases that can work because again, people are busy, but make sure it's honest and true to what the actual situation was and how they work together, but how you worked with them. But if you know the person, that might be a good way to expedite that process. Yeah, for sure. Just giving them a few examples or like even just sometimes once you get the wording started of something, the rest comes easier. So just kind of guiding them. That's great. And that's a great piece of advice. Totally, totally. Yeah, um, many different things you can do. I just think like, um, like building of a good foundation first though. Is the mm-hmm. Like you said, then the testimony is no one. Yeah. So what's one thing that has leveled up your business? Um, well, that course I mentioned, like, honestly, I can't rave enough about it. That freelance sales blueprint. Um, another thing that's leveled up. Mm -hmm. Oh, paying for uh, notion has like, as a tool, like paying for specific tools, it doesn't have to be notion, but like paying for something that, you know, is going to be, but I know sometimes when you're starting off justifying a spend for like, you know, it, it might not seem like that great Calendly. Hello, one of the best investments ever for me. Um, there's a billion other ones. I know Acuity is really good too. And there's a yeah. risk like that. Um, also spending on like Canva premium. Hello, best best investment. And if you're not a fan of um, social media, again, hiring someone to do it, that's always helped me. But you know, I, I think like there's, it just, the biggest thing is what I always try to find is like, where's my, where's my gap? And if I can fill that instead of me just bumbling through it, that's when I feel like I've leveled up. Right. And that's a good investment. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I love that. Yeah. That's so true. Um, Awesome. So I actually don't have any more questions. I feel like we've covered a lot, but is there anything you want to finish on? No, it's been really great talking to you. And I think like it's really nice to have the conversations around things, like especially, like I said, when someone's starting off and they don't know how to approach certain things, like making sure they know that there's resources and there's things that you can do to make sure that your brand is inclusive and that you are you know, really speaking to your audiences in the best way possible. Like that's, those conversations are exciting for me. And I'm glad to see like, like you open to talking about these things so thank you for having me mm-hmm. yeah thank you so much for coming on I know that like there are so many buzzwords like marketing and branding but it it does come down to communication and that you are speaking to that client that audience that ideal um whatever person that it, you want to come to you um that you want to bring in and speaking to them 
through intentional, purposeful, clear, concise words and vocabulary is so, so, so important. And obviously a huge part of that is making sure that you are being kind and inclusive in those words to everyone and anyone, because you just never know who's listening, who's watching and who you're going to be affecting or even better yet, even influencing to also do the same. So it's really important, but yeah, you were so insightful. I I'm going to, there's going to be so many links in this show, but it's awesome. I love it. much it's been so fun and yeah I'm happy to share resources and I always tell people feel free to connect with me online on LinkedIn on Twitter I love talking about this so (laughs) awesome well thank you so much thanks for listening in remember to check us out on Instagram at what the business podcast see you at the next episode